A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgasuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is one of the most decorated instructors in the state of Texas, and that's Tim Cusick. Let me give you some background on Tim. He's been a member of the PGA of America since 1989. He's been named the best teacher in the state of Texas by Golf Digest every year since 2011. He's also been named a top teacher in the South Central region by Golf Magazine, best public facilities teacher by Avid Golf Magazine, top 10 in Dallas by Lessons.com, and he's a three-time winner of the Northern Texas PGA's Teacher of the Year Award. He's also won the Northern Texas PGA's Horton Smith Award, which is given annually for outstanding and continuing contributions to professional golf education. Tim has coached and helped more than 150 junior players secure a college scholarship. He's also coached players like Bruce Crampton, Brad Elder, Hollis Stacy, and Sandra Palmer. He's formerly managed and t- uh, taught at the Hank Haney Golf School, and he worked with Hank Haney for 23 years. He's currently the director of instructions at the Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts and author of the book, The Four Keys to Improve Your Game, which you can find out on Amazon.com. And I am honored that he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Tim, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, thanks for having me back. Appreciate being here. So, Tim, it, it looks like from the weather down there in Irving, Texas, you know, for the most part, you know, it's, it looks warm there for a lot of us in the northern and the eastern portions of the country. We're just now starting to get warm enough weather where we can go get our clubs out and start playing again. So, Tim, I, I want to get your thoughts. What should we do to get ourselves ready to start the new golf season and make sure, you know, A, we're ready, B, that we don't go out there and just jump on the first tee and swing and end up hurting ourselves or creating new bad habits. How, what's your recommendation? What's the best way to get ready for a new golf season? Well, you're asking the right guy because I grew up in Rochester, New York. And so I, I, I feel your pain. I know what you've just been through. And uh, I, I can remember, you know, every chance I had, to, uh, to jump out there and, and push a little snow out of the way and fire a few balls and some, some weeds that were behind our backyard. And that could be in, uh, in February, it could be in March. But to, to answer your question, you know, as you get back into golf after a long layoff, golf is, is, is a, a different sport because most of it is rotational motion. And I was talking to a student today about this who's a very fit student, but is doing a lot of things uh, linear. So they're, they're doing all their work, you know, in front of them, they aren't doing anything rotationally. And so I would just encourage any golfers that have laid off for a while, take a club, put it over the back of your shoulders, put your hands on it and just practice the motion of turning back and turning through, get your hips used to turning rotationally again, get your sides used to that, get your feet used to rotating through, do it both, you know, backwards and forwards, do it right-handed, do it left-handed just to wake your, your, your muscles back up to, to what it's going to be like to make a golf swing. 
And Tim, you know, to that, you know, let's take that to the next step, right? Do you have a stretching routine? So, you know, hey, you got an 8 o'clock tee time. First of all, what time are you arriving at the golf course? And take us through the progression. Do you have a stretching routine? And then how do you warm up on the range? Well, here's the thing. If you're a tour player, you're getting to the golf course for an 8 o'clock tee time about uh, 6.15. Because all those guys now have, you know, fitness trainers that are traveling with them to loosen them up. They're getting on the bike before they even get to the driving range. I can remember a couple of years ago at the, at the AT&T Byron Nelson at our place, we've got a, a nice workout center and Ryan Palmer's in there. He's got his, he's got his golf clothes on and he's working up a lather on the bike, just warming his body up so that he can get ready to go out and start warming up for an hour before he goes and plays. So what I would say is depending on the time that you, that you have, if, if you're cut short, and you're getting to the golf course, and you only have about 20 minutes, I would get over to the putting green, and I would chip a few. I would putt a few, more just getting a feel for the speed, and then I'd make practice swings by the first tee. I wouldn't even worry about going to the driving range. I'd get a feel for the, the greens, and I'd, I'd just make some practice swings to get loosened up. If you have more time, if you have more than 20 minutes, get over to the range, hit a few with your wedges first to get loose, hit a couple with a 7 or an 8 iron, Try a couple with whatever you're going to hit off the tee, especially off the first hole, and then go putt and chip a few. But in terms of, of warming your body up, you know, as I said, anything rotationally, practice turning back and through with a club across the back of your head. Stretch your hamstrings out a little bit. Kneel down with one knee and just kind of stretch your, your hip flexors and your, and your groin and get that loosened up. Roll your wrists around both ways to loosen up your wrists. Any of those things are going to be great to get you ready to play golf. Tim, you've got a lot of great videos on your website. Again, it's timcusickgolf.com, and they're also out on YouTube. And I want to go through a few of them. And, and first, let's talk about deciding which side of the tee box to tee off from. On your video, you mentioned standing on the side where the trouble is. Talk about why. So a lot of times, Chris, when I go and watch even good golfers, even professional golfers playing for a living, sometimes they miss the tee shot before they ever, they ever make the swing because they are positioned on the tee, not utilizing where the wind's coming from or where the trouble is to be able to give themselves the biggest area to hit their tee shot into the fairway. You know, you've got, you've got ball in hand, just like you have in pool, in billiards, when someone scratches, you have ball in hand 18 times. So that means you can tee off anywhere you want inside the tee markers within two club lengths from the front of the tee markers back, and you can position yourself wherever you would like. And so what I like to see my students do is, number one, tee off on the side of trouble. So what that means is if there's trouble down the right side of the fairway, I'm going to ask my students to get on the right side and then aim back a little bit towards the, the left. I want them to hit away from trouble. And then if there's wind, if there's wind, you want to tee off on the opposite side of wind. So, for instance, if the wind's coming from the right, I want to stand on the left side of the tee box. I want to aim back towards the right side or into the wind, towards the wind, and that gives me more fairway to shoot at. So if, if I had a scenario where the wind is coming from the right and I stand up on the right 
and I'm aiming back into the center of the fairway, I've basically just cut my my target in half. I'm not going to get back to that fairway on the right side because the wind's going to push the ball. So now I've just made my fairway half the width. So maybe I went from 40 yards to 20 yards, and that makes it awful difficult to hit the fairways. Tim, an, an area that many of us you know, fear, A, and B, have trouble with is fairway bunkers, right? We find ourselves in a fairway bunker. What are some keys to not only getting out of the fairway bunker? Yeah, we want to be out, right? But is there, are there some things that we can do to not only get out but help ourselves save par, right? Let's get on the green or at least around the green so that we still have an opportunity to make par. So fairway bunkers are uh, probably – the most difficult full swing shot for the amateur golfer. And, but for a tour pro, it's no big deal, especially if they have a nice lie in the fairway, in the fairway bunker. And the reason why that is, is because the bottom of the downswing is absolutely critical in the fairway bunker. You have no margin for error. You either have to make contact with the golf ball first, or you're only going to hit the golf ball a portion of the distance. Tour pros have no trouble making contact with the ball first, getting the bottom of the downswing in the right place. Amateur golfers tend to be all over the board there. They might hit the ball one time. They might hit an inch behind it. They might hit two inches behind it. They might not be able to get down to the golf ball. So fairway bunkers from that standpoint pose a big problem. Here's a couple things you can do to help, you know, minimize your stress level in a, in a fairway bunker. Number one is I always ask my students to choke down a little bit. I want to shorten the length of the club to make it easier to take the sand out of play. I've got to make contact with a golf ball force first. So I'm going to have them choke down just a little bit, maybe an inch or so. The second thing is, is I want them, they can dig their feet in slightly, just slightly to, to, to get some footing, but I want them to put the ball back in their stance a little bit push it a rotation or two back from the center of your stance to help enable hitting the golf ball first. You're going to catch it on a downward blow just a little bit. You've choked on a little bit to make it easier to get the ball first. And then the last thing I'm going to ask him to do is I'm going to ask him to make maybe just a little bit smaller length back swing, maybe a, a one third, about a nine o'clock to 10 o'clock length back, back swing. And then I'm going to ask him to turn through, make sure they turn through with their lower body, release their hips, release their right foot, and that's going to help move the bottom of the downswing first. So all of those keys are designed to try and make contact with the golf ball first, not the sand. So to that end, Tim, if we're going to take a little bit shorter of a swing, talk about club selection. You know, what, what, Am I going a club more than I would typically? You know, I'm choking down. I'm taking a little bit less of a swing. Am I, is that one club selection more? Is it two? How do I know which club to hit? You can you can take one club more until you start becoming consistent with your contact. If you make contact with the golf ball first consistently and you've got it back in your stance just a little bit, you might just make up for the amount that you made your swing just a little bit shorter. So it's something you have to experiment with a little bit. People that take more club are usually getting in there and anticipating hitting a fat shot. And they're just trying to fat it closer to the to the front edge of the green. I would say that that you've got to experiment a little bit with that. My experience is when you make solid contact, you're turning through, and the ball's back slightly. Even though you've choked down and made a slightly smaller swing, 
you're probably going to hit it close to what your normal distance is, but a different trajectory. Probably will be just a little bit lower. It won't be a high launching shot. All right. So now let's let's go a little bit further, closer to the hole, but not green side. Let's talk about bunkers that are maybe a little bit further away from the green. So we're not right up next to it. It's not a nice green side bunker where maybe we're taking our our sandwich or our lob wedge and and uh, hitting it out. But we're a little bit further back. Talk about that long bunker shot. Well, you're giving me all the tough ones tonight, Chris. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so if, when you have a when you have a longer greenside bunker shot, my motto is always: I want my student or my player or myself. I want to explode, hit an explosion shot as far away from the green as I possibly can. So, what that means is. As long as I can make contact with the sand first, I have more margin for error than when I have to make contact with a golf ball first. So if I can if I can increase that distance away from the green or I can make contact with the sand first, I've got a better chance of that turning out. And so that typically can get to be, you know, 25, 30, 35 yards away from the, the, the target and what I would do is, you know, provided you have a decent lie and provided you don't have a massive lip in front of you, I would just start using some different clubs. So obviously everyone's got their go-to sand iron, might be 56, might be 58, might be 60 degrees aloft around the green. As you start moving further from the green, I would ask my students to test with their, their 54, their gap wedge, their pitching wedge, add just a little bit of loft, Set up the same way you would for a normal bunker shot. Maybe lower your hands and the shaft slightly, but try and play it just like an explosion shot. It's going to come out a little lower. It's going to run a little bit more, but it allows you to ex expand that distance away from the green where you can explode it and not have to worry about making contact with the ball first. And you talk about you know making whatever club selection you, you're going to go with here. You talk about around the around the greens, right? 56, 58, 60. You know, talk about the importance of of those three clubs by also checking the bounce, right? Is it is it always okay to use any one of those, or do we need to make sure that we've got one of those clubs that's got more bounce than the other? You know, again, for most of us, getting into any sort of bunker is a scary proposition. How sure, do we choose sure. the right club with the right bounce to get ourselves out? So here's the, here's the thing with that, Chris, is that when you're hitting a pitch shot or when you're hitting a bunker shot, an explosion bunker shot, the general rule of thumb is the shallower that somebody comes in, let's say you're a picker or you have very shallow divots, you would probably be someone that would operate with a little bit less bounce probably in your in your sand and pitch iron, which is your 56, 58, 60, you're going to be somewhere between 8 and, you know, 10 degrees of bounce. You don't need to go less than that unless you're playing over in Europe and the ground is hard as rock and you need a very low-bounce club. You'll see tour players switch to, to low-bounce clubs when they go over and the, and, the, and the bunkers are packed down and the ground is very firm. If you're someone that's a little bit steeper, comes in they dig a little bit more they get into the ground that's someone that needs a little bit more bounce 12 to 14 degrees on their wedges that they're playing their pitch shots and their bunker shots around the green now 
the, the, the gap between those clubs, the manufacturers are, are, are pushing the limits in terms of the loss that are on the set of irons these days. When you and I grew up, at least when I grew up, I know my pitching wedge was 52 degrees aloft. And now my pitching wedge is down to being about 44 degrees aloft. So that's one way that they've allowed the, the general golfing public to hit the golf ball farther is they're just taking loft off the clubs. But what that has done is that's created a gap between the pitching wedge and when the sand wedges started. So you want to make sure that you've got somewhere in the, in the, in the range of about four degrees of loft difference between your pitching wedge, your gap wedge, between your gap wedge, your sand wedge. You can stretch it to five but I would try not to stretch it any more than that because you're going to have a, a, a too big a gap in a very, very uh, high opportunity, um, high thought of success shot area that, that you want to hit your shots. That's, you know, shots inside 120 yards. You've got a high expectation of hitting a good shot. And when you have a big gap between those clubs, it makes it more difficult. Now it's interesting because I just learned something here because I'm a picker. Right? I, don't, I don't take much of a divot if I do at all. And I thought as a picker, I needed more bounce. And as if I were someone who dug the club and I hit the ball first and compressed the ball first, then I need less bounce. But it, from what I just heard you say, it's actually the opposite of that, right? The other, the, other way, the other way around. So if you take someone that's a digger, okay, they need something to help shallow them out. And so when you have more, when you have more bounce, as you enter the ground, that, that bounce is helping shallow the shot out so that you don't continue to just dig into the ground. When you come in shallower, you don't want to have a lot of that bounce behind the club because that's going to get in the way, and you're going to end up bouncing into the golf ball, so to speak. You want the back end of that club filed down and, and narrowed down so there's less bounce so that you can sweep into the golf ball. Well, that's... Fantastic advice. Thank you for that. A um, couple more, Tim. You have a great tip about using either a hybrid or a fairway metal. If we find ourselves sort of just off the green, maybe in the second cut of rough, how can we pull that shot off without rocketing the ball across the green? So in Texas, our grass goes dormant, which means it loses its color doesn't die, but it stops growing sometime in the middle of November or so. And it's nice and fluffy at that point, but it's continued to, to, to not grow all the way through the winter season until the middle of March or so. So we have brown grass, and it starts to get very tight around the green. So areas where you might pitch the golf ball in the summertime, when there's a nice stand of grass, that ground is now very, very tight in the wintertime, so you can't get the club to slide under the golf ball. So oftentimes – it's kind of like the extension of the Texas wedge that you always hear about on TV. I'll have my students when they're off the green. Now, if you're close to the green and it's smooth, a putter works fantastic, but you have to remember a putter only has about three to four degrees of loft on it. So if it's not smooth and tight and perfect, that ball's going to have a, have a tendency to start bouncing if you use a putter too far off the green. So the reason why a, a, a lofted fairway would, something that has 15 to 17 degrees of loft or a lofted hybrid works great is because it has just enough loft to keep the golf ball on top of the grass. 
to let it run. So you're going to set up, you're going to choke down almost to the end of the grip. You're going to stand the club up tall. You're going to get close to the golf ball, similar as you would to putting. The ball is going to be back in your stance. Your stance is going to be narrow. So back in the stance, meaning inside your right foot. You're going to lean the shaft forward. You're going to lean your body forward. And you're simply just going to make a putting stroke. And when you make a putting stroke, the ball is going to start rolling. If you have a bad lie around the green and the grass is somewhat smooth, or even if it's bumpy, as long as the grass isn't tall, it works great out of something like that. If you want to run it up a hill, if you want to run it up a bank, if you're far enough off the green and you're nervous about the lie, it's a great alternative. I can remember I caddied for uh, the U.S. Amateur champ, Hank Keeney, at the 1999 U.S. Open at Pinehurst. And they had shaved everything around the greens, off the turtleback greens, down very, very tight. And Monday and Tuesday, all the best players in the world were all trying to figure out, could they chip it? Could they pitch it? What are they going to do? And, uh, you know, the only one that was pitching it was Phil Mickelson. But everyone else was trying to figure out how to play this shot. Well, Hank and I had a plan, and he had done this for, you know, a number of years coming from Texas. He says, let's just, let's just go with a hybrid. And we're just going to use the hybrid on every single, you know, shot off the green. And he ended up making the cut. He was low amateur. And he holed out three times with that hybrid during the week in the tournament. Wow. That's awesome. So it's a great, it's a so, great alternative, Chris. To, it takes a little bit of practice. The ball comes off the face a little bit hotter than it does with a putter just because of the material. So don't be alarmed, you know, if one shoots off the face a little bit fast to start with. But it's a great way to, to, to hit those shots around the green, especially when the lies are tight. So now we're on the green, right? Maybe we've got a little bit of a longer putt. So we'll talk about lag putting. How can we do a better job, you know, finding out what distance and judging the distance so we don't end up three putting, at least getting around the hole on those long lag putts? So lag putting to me is essentially playing catch with the hole. And, and you're not necessarily – you know, worried or, or concentrating on technique as you are just trying to find a length and a rhythm to your stroke that allows you to get the golf ball as close to the hole as possible. And I would say anytime you're outside of about 12 to 15 feet, you're essentially lagging to the hole. Now you might lag it good enough to make it every once in a while, but you're just trying to get it up there so close that you don't have to, that you don't have to worry about, you know, three putting. And I, I use the, uh, you know, I use this analogy with my son a lot, who's a, a high school golfer. And, you know, I, I, I tell him that, you know, I would like to, to have you play around where you minimize the number of times you have to go to your pocket to dig a coin out, to put it underneath the golf ball, to go through the routine again, sweat it out and make that three footer, try and get it closer to the hole, concentrate on lagging it closer. And so I'll, I'll talk to, to my students about almost trying to play more break than you think to get it to die in down by that, you know, around the hole, you know, try and get yourself to envision the ball rolling up next to the hole, try and get a feel with the putter swinging back and through on a rhythm that allows you to hit the putt, the right speed, the longer the putt, the slower the putt, the more uphill the putt, the bigger the backstroke and the more pace you have to have similar to a metronome to get the ball to the hole. So you don't have this long syrupy stroke. So you can quicken the pace of your stroke a little bit or lengthen the pace of your stroke as you have a longer, slower, or uphill putt. 
Tim, you've got a uh, a wonderful event coming up here in the next uh, little bit. Talk about what you've got going on. You've, you're going to be uh, getting the designation of Master Professional. Talk about what that's uh, going to be like for you. Chris, I, uh, I've been a, a PGA member, as you said in the intro, since 1989. So by my count, we're, we're close to 29 years. And um, I've been a quarter century member, obviously, since my 25th year. And right after I got that designation, I thought, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do all that I can to take this, this, this PGA status that I have, that my, my credibility, my learning, you know, opportunity, my stature in the, in the game, as far as I can, I can take it. And so the first step was being, becoming certified with the PGA in my category, which is teaching and coaching. And so I did that about a year, year and a half ago, where I had to watch a series of about uh, 36 to 40 videos take a test afterwards on all those. And then I had to write a, 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 a thesis paper that was about 10 or 15 pages and, and, and turn that in as my project. And as I did that, I got graded and I, I became certified in teaching and coaching. And so the final level, the highest level that I could attain as a PGA member um, is a master professional uh, status. And they have that in teaching and coaching as well. And you have to go through the steps I just talked about to even be considered to try and qualify for a master professional. So I'm using my, my book, The Four Keys to Improve Your Game, as my project or my thesis. And I have a, uh, I've got a one-hour PowerPoint presentation that I have to go in front of a board uh, down at Port St. Lucie, Florida, where the PGA headquarters are on Monday. And then I'll have a question and answer session, and then I have to teach a live lesson with a student that I don't know and uh, I'd have a question and answer session for that as well. And then hopefully if all that goes well, I will, uh, I'll have the status of master professional. So I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, it's, you know, it's certainly, it's a milestone in my, in my, uh, in my golf career, my professional golf career. And um, you know, it just, it positions me as, as one of the, you know, the foremost, ex foremost experts in the game and it's I'm I'm really excited to to get down there and, and show them what I've got. As you should be. That that's so fantastic, Tim. I'm so happy for you and uh, and all the things that you've accomplished in your career. For our listeners that want to get in touch with you, whether or follow you, whether it's online or over social media, how can they find you? So I'm all over social media in uh, Instagram and. Um, uh, Twitter and on YouTube, Tim Cusick golf. You can reach out to me that way on Facebook. Uh, the same thing, Tim Cusick golf. Uh, my website is, uh, Tim And you can reach out to me, uh, by going to the four seasons.com slash Dallas website. Uh, you know, it has a link to our instruction programs and you can find me there. I'm in Irving, Texas at the four seasons resort and club Dallas. And it's going to be interesting, Chris. We get a little bit of bittersweet in a couple of weeks. The uh, AT&T Byron Nelson has moved on to Trinity Forest uh, Golf Club, downtown Dallas. And so for the first time in 35 years, it will not be played at our facility. So kind of a bittersweet uh, week coming up for us. Yeah, I imagine that it is. Um, when you look at that event, Tim, is, is, is anyone from the, your current place going to be involved at all you know, with the tournament? Or is uh, is it just moving down the street and that's just uh, the end of an era? 
And it just it, it kind of moves down the street. And it's an end of the era. We get the question all the time in our uh, in our little circle by the first tee of the TPC golf course. There's a, a beautiful bronze, uh, probably 20 foot statue of Byron Nelson, and behind it a, a granite wall that has all the winners' names on it. And we always get the question: Is it is the statue going away? And no, the statue is right. not going away. It's staying. It's staying right there, and that's where it belongs. And Mr. Nelson watches over us uh, on a daily basis, and, and uh, I'm sure he'll be watching over Trinity Forest in a couple of weeks. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. You're fantastic. I hope you'll come back after after you get the, the master designation, come back, share the stories for what that was like, and then we'll, let's talk a little bit more about how we can do better in our games because uh, there's not a better teacher anywhere than you are. I appreciate your time. Chris, thank you. You do a great job at what you do, and I'll be happy to come on anytime you'd like. Have a great night. All right. Take care, Tim. Thank you. That is Tim Cusick, and again, his last name is spelled C-U-S-I-C-K. So TimCusickGolf.com. So many great videos, and we only touched on a handful of them. Uh, on his website, and uh, and then check him out over social media as well. This morning in the Atlanta airport. No one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for Brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.